You know, I've been around a long time. I know how hard this is. From the political science department at UW-Madison. Am I exasperated? Absolutely, I'm exasperated. I'm Adam Wigger. This country's gone through tough times before, and we're going to do it again. And I'm Sam Beisman. This is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. And this is 1050 Bascom. As the global pandemic continues to raise questions about the future and stability of the job and internship market, 1050 Bascom is reaching out to successful political science grads to help us navigate these uncertain times. Today, we are excited to have Hillary Miller on the pod, who graduated with a BA in political science, history, and a certificate in Jewish studies in 2019, and after working as a Goldman Fellow in Chicago, joined UN Watch, an independent human rights watchdog NGO in Geneva, Switzerland, where she lived for a year, and in June testified before the UN Human Rights Council on the debate on human rights violations committed by Russia and Crimea. Hillary previously testified before the Human Rights Council on issues related to Israel and Equatorial Guinea. We'll ask Hillary about her time at UW-Madison, where she edited several undergraduate academic journals and took on leadership positions in a number of student organizations. We'll ask Hillary about her professional pursuits that led to the prestigious Goldman Fellowship and the Louis D. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law, and now an influential position at UN Watch. Thank you so much for joining us today, Hillary. Thank you so much for having me. Do you want to start kind of broadly and tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your time that you have spent now that you are uh, a year or a couple years out of the university? Yes. So my name is Hillary Miller. I am originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I uh, was very grateful to spend four years in Madison at UW. I majored in political science and history, and I got a minor in Jewish studies. And I graduated last year in the May of 2019. And soon after, in September of 2019, I moved to Geneva, Switzerland, where I was in the position of the Morris B. Abram Fellow for United Nations Watch, which is an independent human rights advocacy NGO that monitors the performance of the, of the United Nations and holds it to account by the mandate of its own charter. So I returned from Geneva a few weeks ago um, after having finished my fellowship and having lived there for a year, and am soon moving to New York to continue working for UN Watch as the heading our, our New York office. So I'll be heading, yeah, our, our New York office, diplomatic affairs, uh, meeting with members of the media, meeting with uh, representatives from diplomatic missions in New York, and then um, also monitoring what is going on at the UN in New York City. Yeah, that is all so interesting, and I want to get into all of it. But first, I kind of want to hear about your experience moving back to the United States, especially recently, especially from, you know, in Europe, where there's a little bit more of a handle on COVID. So like, what, what did all of that look like for you in Switzerland? So it's really interesting. So I would say from a professional standpoint, I think that COVID added to the experience of my one year in Switzerland and living abroad because 
you know, I was living down the street and working down the street from the World Health Organization and really living the news as it was unfolding. And so um, that's an experience for both, I would say, professionally and personally that I will never forget. And COVID in the way that countries have been handling the virus and the ways that countries have been covering its transgressions or, or missteps in handling the virus are at the core of, of human rights issues, uh, human rights conversations. So as a human rights advocacy group dealing with you know UN agencies, the WHO of which is, is a UN agency, it was you know amplified our work and a lot of people assumed while I was living in Switzerland, you know, did your work slow down or was there any uh, lull in your work? And I said, actually, on the contrary, we had a lot of work covering the WHO as well as how countries that are, you know, been very, there's been a spotlight, I should say, on how they have handled the virus or how they have silenced journalists or dissidents or doctors, people that have come out condemning the government's responses to COVID, for example, Russia and China, you know, those those countries, when they have taken the floor at the Human Rights Council and propping up their government's responses to the virus, when in fact, they have been committing human rights abuses in wake of COVID or because of COVID, it has been quite an experience monitoring those countries as well as the UN and the WHO in this context. Yeah, it's so it sounds so interesting. And since we're on the topic, we can just talk about it now. But what did like a typical workday for you look like at UN Watch? As I said before, we're an NGO. We're a member of civil society as an ECOSOC accredited NGO. That basically means having ECOSOC accreditation means that the United we have grounds to or access we we can access the grounds of the United Nations. Um, we can attend UN meetings. So our office, the office of our NGO, is located very close to the Palais des Nations in Geneva, Switzerland, which is what which houses the um, you know core and central meetings of the UN Human Rights Council, um, the nuclear disarmament meeting. A whole host of UN uh, meetings are there, as well as side events hosted by uh, different diplomatic missions, as well as civil society NGOs. Um, so, um, I would, we were, me personally, I, I was not going to the UN every day, but when the UN human rights council was in session or a treaty body was in session, that is when I would go to the UN to sit in on meetings personally and monitor the rhetoric. Uh, what are countries saying? Does it contradict their human rights record? And so in, in real time, we would do that. Um, I, I would go to the UN for those reasons. I would say a typical work day often looks like going to our office when the UN um, is, is not in session. And the type of work I was doing varied. On a consistent basis, though, I would be putting together an internal report for my NGO about different uh, news events and things happening within the human rights community, within that, the things that are going on at the UN, news, just things that are going on around the world. We at UN Watch, you know, we have a, a list of countries that we specifically focus on that are major human rights abusers. So it was always important to be updated on current events in those countries. For example, what's happening in China, 
uh, with the Uyghurs, what's happening in Syria with the refugee crisis, and in what ways is are you know Assad and Russia continuing their bombing campaign on uh, displaced persons in Syria, Turkey and Erdogan and his repression of journalists, all of these different countries and abusers that span geographic regions across the world. I was putting together news reports and updates on that. I was also writing press releases for UN Watch whenever we would come out to comment on a human rights situation or something else going on around the world. I would put together a press release, which is sent to members of the media. Um, I would prepare briefings, which is a summary of the ways that UN Watch is advocating at the UN. Maybe it's something that's spotlighting a campaign that we're working on to send out to our followers. And I was also managing our social media. So um, our Twitter, our Facebook, our Instagram, you know, it's being able to write in a whole host of these different communicative platforms. Um, you know, writing on social media is a different form of writing than a press release, than a briefing. So those were all skills I was working with each day and applying each day. And then also when the council was in session, I would be helping my boss, our executive director, Hillel Neuer, prepare speeches and testimonies before the United Nations. And I was very fortunate myself to have three different opportunities to testify before the UN Human Rights Council throughout my year in Geneva, one of which was on the human rights situation in Equatorial Guinea. One was on the human rights situation in in Gaza and, and rockets firing it from Gaza into Israel and, and commenting on that. And then the third was most recently in June when I um, spoke on uh, Russian rights violations in occupied Crimea. Those speeches I had also written, prepared, and, and, and testified my, myself. So that was an interesting opportunity, to say the least. I kind of want to get into how you got there. And I know you were a Goldman Fellow. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that experience? Sure. So in the summer of 2018, I was living in Chicago as a Goldman Fellow for the American Jewish Committee, which is another Jewish advocacy organization that fills a very important role in the, not only in the Jewish civil society space, but I would say the civil society space generally. It's an organization that promotes democracy, universal values of human rights um, and peace throughout the world, and, and also advocates the welfare and well-being of international of the international Jewish community, both in the diaspora and in the state of Israel. So that was a, a really interesting summer. I learned um, a lot about the politics and dynamics of the diaspora Jewish community, and um, it was really interesting being in a space where I could see, um, you know, how lobbying works, how advocacy works in terms of going to consulates in the city of Chicago and lobbying them on issues of concern um, that AJC was promoting at the time. Um, it was a really valuable experience um, to also, you know, dip my toes in the NGO civil society space, 
the previous summer, I had been interning for the Israeli consulate in Chicago. So I had a totally different or opposite perspective working for the foreign ministry of Israel, which is a government institution. So I had this duality of an experience, which was the summer before working for a government and the second summer working for civil society, both equally enriching opportunities that gave me just a dynamic perspective on how to advocate for you know the good and welfare of the Jewish community and how to communicate our interests to a whole host of communities and how to leverage relationships um, in the diplomatic community, how to um, create um, a sense of collecti- collectiveness among communities or groups with different backgrounds and communicate just that while we are different groups with different interests as part of this you know, larger civil society, there is so much that we can come together to promote, whether it be peace, collective unity, promoting technological advancements within certain countries, um, and just like different forms of collaboration. There's a lot that people and groups and, you know, these diplomatic missions that consulates can relate about. And so it was just it's a very enriching experience being in Chicago for both of those summers and capped off by that second summer with AJC, where it was a our professional lens very enriching in the sense that it was, you know, I was working in an office with colleagues and it was nine to five. And so having that type of structure contrasts so starkly with a student's, uh, like a typical college student's um, daily schedule that it was important to learn just how the average working person works. Um, how to complete tasks, how to communicate with colleagues, all of these things accrued throughout that summer that I would eventually take with me into my senior year of college and then off to Geneva um, the following year. It sounds like an amazing opportunity for students. How did you go about uh, getting that fellowship? I had heard about the Goldman Fellowship the previous summer when I was interning for the Israeli consulate in Chicago. And when I was interning for the consulate in the summer of 2017, I had attended an AJC event for interns in the city of Chicago. Um, And I remember meeting the Goldman Fellow before me, my predecessor, and just inquiring her or asking questions to her about it and her experience and being really interested in in not only the position of Goldman Fellow, but AJC in general. I was really impressed by the organization. I I believe that it aligned with my values and its goals um, and vision for the future of not only American Jewry, but diaspora Jewry and the state of Israel very much aligned with, with my perspective on those things. And so I had my eye on it. Um, and also, uh, so I knew that I would want to apply to do that for the following year, which I eventually did maybe in February of 2018, um, and went through that application application process then, which was rigorous with, you know, a lot of writing and interviews. I would also say that something that, that made my application stand out was because of my attending that 2000 summer of 2017 intern event where the woman who would eventually interview me for the position remembered that when I was there I was I was very present 
and I was asking questions to the speakers and I made myself known to the organization just by um, being a vocal participant there and letting them know my name and letting them know that I appreciated and respected the organization for what it was. So I think that had I not interjected and had I not, um, and, and that wasn't, you know, because I had some agenda where I was competing for the internship that summer before it was more just, I was genuinely interested in, in what was going on and wanted them to know that. So it definitely helped with my application. Um, the follow a few months later, I would say, but was very glad to have had that experience. And I still am so fond of AJC and, and just the people who work there and, and what they do. It's truly admirable. So I'm very grateful to have, to have um, worked with them. Many times on this career conversation series we've been doing on 1050, people have just spoken at great lengths to the importance of networking like that. And it just seems like another success story of exactly that. Yeah. And, you know, I would also say one of the reasons that my application for AJC likely stood out, and in fact, I know that it did stand out because I had spoken with the woman who had interviewed and eventually hired me, my um, my supervisor at, at AJC, we had spoken about this, was that because I had knowledge about the diplomatic community, as well as the Jewish community in Chicago from my previous summer at the consulate, that was an added um, advantage. It made me more of a useful intern because there was less catching up to do, meaning I already had contacts at the consulate, as well as other members or groups, civil society groups in the city of Chicago who had, who had worked with me the previous summer. And I just had a general knowledge about how big, you know, this the city was. What are the key groups we need to be contacting? Uh, who are, you know, just what what is relevant and what is not? So that definitely made me more marketable and an attractive candidate for them, having that previous experience. On that topic, can you speak at all to maybe advice you have for students that are looking to accrue experiences like you have, like? Or what would you maybe recommend to them that they do to, you know, boost their resume, make themselves more marketable to opportunities like this? Um, just things like that. I would say that, especially now in the context of COVID, where job opportunities, especially with organizations maybe a student is passionate about, you know, they might seem scarce right now or not available. I would say that there's always a way to make yourself relevant. There's always a way to make yourself known within that organization, whether it be a simple email reaching out to um, somebody who is um, in a relevant position, a position of interest to you. Say you're online researching an NGO and you're reading about them and you're excited about what they do and you just want to send you know, somebody in that within that organization, a quick email introducing yourself and saying that you are, you know, an eager student at the University of Wisconsin and you're studying political science and other relevant majors and your coursework relates to what they are doing. And if ever a position is available that you would like to be considered or, um, you know, even if you're, you don't want to reach out to them because you're, um, looking for a job, 
I, I worked or I reached out to a lot of organizations in my time at UW as an undergrad when I was writing papers just to have, um, you know, quotes from people working in the Jewish advocacy space. I had reached out to the Brandeis Center. I'd reached out to other organizations just because I was writing papers about them. Um, the Anti-Defamation League is a good example. And I, I wanted um, that them as a resource. And in that sense, I also stood out because I had previous rapport and communication with these groups. Um, so they knew my name when I had applied for, for jobs, um, there. Um, and what other advice? Yeah, I guess I would say generally, there's always a a way to make yourself relevant, um, and useful to organizations you're passionate about. I think sometimes as students, we forget that while we are looking outward to so much of the world and observing what's going on, so much of the world is looking back on what's happening through the lens of um, a student on a college campus. And knowing that ideas are breeding from a college campus makes large corporations, you know, members of civil society, or I should say civil society groups, look to students and look to the college campus to see what's relevant, what's trending, what are people of our age interested in. And so there's always a way, because we have, you, you can leverage that unique perspective to help these groups, whether, you know, it just be providing yourself as a relevant contact and saying, if ever you want to know what students are thinking about X issue, or what, what are the latest protests going on? What are students talking about on campus? you know, you can always be an asset to them. That, yeah, that is all excellent advice for students. And before we talk more about students right now, you mentioned in there your internship, or you just, you mentioned the Brandeis Center. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your experience there as a communications intern? I interned for the Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law in the fall and spring of 2018, 2019. So my entire senior year, it was um, a satellite internship. They are based in Washington, D.C. They are a group that calls out anti-Semitism on college campuses and addresses and adjudicates anti-Semitism through the law. So it was a very enriching internship as a communications intern because I was writing a lot of blog posts for them on issues related to anti-Semitism on college campuses around the country. Um, to be a college student writing about other, uh, you know, current events on other uh, campuses, as well as things going on at UW at the time, it was really, um, I was really proud to offer my perspective as well as, um, you know, to be able to learn about things going on in the U.S. with regard to anti-Semitism um, from a, a, a legal point of view and how we can leverage civil rights law to protect Jewish students on campus from experiencing anti-Semitism. As I was learning in the classroom about um, anti-Semitism and its ideological underpinnings and its motivations and how it appears um, from the right and the left and, you know, across the ideological spectrum. It just, it, it, this internship out of the classroom enriched my experience in, in the classroom and, and vice versa. So 
um, it was a wonderful opportunity for me. I was very grateful to have had that. And also um, looking in retrospect, where now we're living in COVID, so much is based on telecommunications and satellite work. And for the foreseeable future, it looks that way. Um, it was a really valuable experience for me to have a satellite um, communications like rapport with my colleagues I was working with in DC and learning valuable skills of um, time zones, how to, how to, you know, I was working in central time in Madison, they were working in Eastern time in DC, you know, all these things that seem very obvious, but when you put it to practice, it's important to schedule properly and have things done timely and sent timely and be reliable, uh, be a reliable worker, even though you're not in the office with your colleagues every day. Um, and that's something that I will be experiencing when I move to New York. Um, you know, UN Watch, who I work for, is headquartered in Geneva, where I was working for the last year, but I will be a part of our international team working in New York. So I'm going to have to use those same skill sets that I learned in through my internship at the Brandeis Center and apply it to this, this new, next step with my professional career. Um, the only difference is that instead of one hour time zone, it's going to be six hours difference. So, um, it'll, it, but still the Brandeis Center internship was, you know, wonderful experience to work with their executive director, Elisa Lewin. She's absolutely brilliant. And I've learned so much from her, um, and appreciate all that she's doing. And yeah, I would just say, uh, it was a, a great experience overall. Uh, you mentioned how the Brandeis Center was very enriching, not just outside the classroom, but also inside the classroom. Can you share any more experiences you, you had on campus that really set you up for success in your internships and set you up for success, especially now that you're entering uh, this new kind of phase of your work? Yeah, you know, I would say generally, this is true for my political science courses, my history courses, my Jewish studies courses, each professor instilled within me the mindset of being skeptical and being in a position to ask questions, the importance of asking questions of, you know, not taking things on its face, but doing deeper intellectual work, putting more intellectual depth and energy into, you know, any context that I'm in. I remember... For example, um, in my freshman year, I took IR 101, I believe is the course number, might have to check on that, IR 101 with Professor Peavy House. And he, you know, I remember on day one, he said, if there's anything that I want you students to get out of this class is to be able to read and understand the news and to be skeptical and to be critical thinkers and, you know, apply that to what's going on in our world today. And he not only told us that, but he demonstrated it by taking time out of our course syllabus when things were happening around the world. For example, the Charlie Hebdo shooting, he did an entire lecture on that and, and, and the causes of that and um, why. And, and also, I remember with the um, Syrian refugee crisis, he took an entire lecture out of that to explain its dynamics and uh, the background of that and its implications and how this could affect global politics. And he said, you know, when I was a student in college, my professor took time to talk about 
when the Berlin Wall fell, and I feel the same duty to do that to you for current events going on today so that you understand the world that you live in. And that really stuck with me, and it taught me to apply the same logic to every class that I took that you must be you must be skeptical you must do um, you know in-depth research about things that are going on especially in an era where we joke about the proliferation of fake news but and, and you know alternative facts and I don't mean for this to be political but I would say that in an era of social media where things can be just spread in the in an instant and we consume information in such a different way than our parents did and that our grandparents did we should be cautious about just the way that we're digesting information today and that it's important to think deeply and to be critical and my experiences at UW my professors at UW instilled within me that mindset and i think it has only it has it has been pivotal to my work in the civil society space for an NGO that's advocating for human rights, universal values to really look into the, the truth of the facts being presented and also to share the truth, to sift and winnow as UW would say, through um, kind of the mishigas of, of what's real and what's not and to do our work to share what is true to the public. Yeah, more excellent advice. That is so awesome. And um, I think that the international course is now numbered 140 for any students that okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> want to take it in the future. But kind of moving on, and I want to be cognizant of your time. I want to ask one more question about how you're navigating work remotely and especially, you know, like working in your living space. We've been asking a lot of our guests here on the Career Conversations uh, aspect of the podcast, how they are navigating that work-life balance, especially, you know, that work just always creeps into your living space now, and it's just so intertwined. So how have you been uh, really navigating that and finding success? It's a really good question. I would say, first off, it's important to find separation from work and home when you, however you can. Uh, for me, what that looks like is, you know, um, taking the time to go for a run every day and um, embracing that time outside, listening to a good podcast, of course, this podcast. And um, yeah, just um, embracing the comforts of home and knowing that it's a different type of work life. Uh, but at the same time, uh, knowing the importance of, of getting outside when you can, going for a run, exercising, meditating, whatever that looks like for somebody, for whoever, just taking what you need for an hour or more or less, whatever your schedule allows, but designating that time for yourself to clear your head and make that separation from work so that you can be more productive in your work. And yeah, it can be very isolating. When I was in Geneva, we had the shutdown for two months and I was living alone far from family and I was working from home. And it was hard because I was living in a studio apartment where your bed is your kitchen is your table. Like the, there couldn't be any less separation, but there's always balance. And it's just, it's it's a challenge to 
find it and strike it, but it's just a matter of identifying what you need to feel good in the day and, and working from there. Absolutely. Do you have any parting words for students? That's a great question. That is such a good question, Adam. <laughs> Thanks. I would say career-wise, take advantage of the resources on campus. I wouldn't be where I am had I not sought out career advice and help from the poli-sci department, from the history department, from SuccessWorks. There was somebody, a major player in each of those places that really encouraged me to apply for certain things, helped me fill out applications, uh, read every single one of my applications and my resume to help me get to a place of confidence where I could apply to a lot of these internships and jobs. So I would say seek out resources on campus. And obviously, if I didn't give the writing center a shout out, I would be crazy. They were so helpful. Um, they didn't necessarily help me with putting together you know, job applications or my CV, but they boosted my writing skills to a point where it made it so much easier to go into starting a job application with much more ease and, and confidence and to communicate clearly. And I would say too, it's, it's never a bad time to invest in researching the groups, the issues that you're interested in. And, you know, whether you're a freshman and you're kind of lost and you don't know what long-term your job looks like, that's fine. You don't need to know, but maybe you're sitting in class and you realize you're really passionate about advocating for the rights of journalists and free speech. There are so many organizations out there that are working with that issue and um, it never hurts to reach out to a group like that. And I would say whether you're a senior struggling in this context to figure out what your career path looks like and what next steps after graduating look like. It's so easy to narrowly focus on a job title. Like it's just, it's too easy to be like, I see myself being X position in this organization and I'm committed to that, but life doesn't work that way. And it's important to be flexible and it's important to take this situation for what it is. And and I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, put yourself in such confined space or narrow boxes with the image that you have of what your career after UW looks like. Something I struggled with my senior year was I thought I would be applying for a position title, not for a space in the organization I was passionate about. Once I found the organization I was passionate about, then I was put in the right position. So I would look at this from, you know, job opportunities, less from micro to macro, but the inverse, macro to micro. And just find what you love and look at the organizations you're passionate about and never be afraid to reach out to them because, um, like I had mentioned earlier, they see you as just as much as of an asset as you may see them in the future. So I would encourage students to um, identify their passions and seek out, you know, network with organizations and seek out contacts that could connect them to those issues. That is excellent advice to leave off on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me.
for more information about 1050 Bascom, visit polisci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. 1050 Bascom is edited by Adam Wigger, produced by Amy Gangle, and recorded remotely for now. 